church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! Well, uh, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Did you all have a good Thanksgiving? I, uh, I want to tell you before we jump in, I, uh, I spent some time Thursday just sitting on my back deck thanking God for all, all so many good things. And among the many things I had to thank God for was you. And uh, I just want you to know how grateful I am for you as my family's church and the privilege that it is for me to get to serve you as pastor. I don't take that for granted. I'm really, really thankful for you guys. Uh, I, hope you, I hope you had a joyful Thanksgiving. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up our solo series today. I want to start with this. Uh, we live in what one sociologist calls the age of the selfie. The age of the selfie. Now, you all know what selfies are, right? Okay, you know, you hold the camera. Uh, if there's somebody in here who does not know what a selfie is, I'm in trouble. Anyway, so you know what a selfie is. Um, we live in the age of the selfie. In fact, in 2013, uh, there were two college girls who rushed the field at the College World Series. Uh, we have a photo of it here. Uh, and the stated goal of rushing the field was to get a selfie. Uh, it also earned them a $5,000 fine. Uh, apparently, the people who paid big bucks to see baseball were not there to see college girls run around the field taking selfies. Uh, we live in the age of selfies. Uh, the selfie, uh, the very next year, got notarized as well. The selfie showed up at the Academy Awards. Do you all remember this? This is one of the most retweeted, reposted, most famous selfies in the history of selfies there. Uh, and then, of course, in 2016, Twitter declared selfie the word of the year. And just this last year, Google reported that no less than 24 billion, billion with a B, selfies were stored on their servers alone, to say nothing of Apple and the many other servers. We live in the age of the selfie. Now, I'm not here to bash on selfies. In fact, I take them all the time. I even read an article on 10 tips to your best selfie, which I thought was very clever. What is the whole selfie thing all about? Here, here's what I think, uh, why I mentioned the beginning. I think that the, our selfie culture really points to a deeper longing that we all have as human beings. We all long for glory. We all have this sense, this deep longing that our lives were meant to be something more. And it seems that in one way or another, each and every one of us was created for glory. Well, today, as we are wrapping up our series called Solas, uh, we're coming to the fifth and final sola. Uh, this series has been a celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. What was that? Well, that was a big movement in the history of the church where they got back to the essentials of the Christian faith, and they identified five of them. We've been talking about these over the last few weeks. You'll remember these, but uh, we started with Scripture alone, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's where we've been going. But today we come to a very, very important final sola, one that we need to talk about in this world of selfies. And this final sola is called glory to God alone, or what the reformers called soli deo gloria. Notice soli deo, not soli mio gloria. And what this meant for the reformers. And what it means for us today is that in one way or another, our lives are meant to reflect God's glory. That God's glory, in one way or another, is to define who we are 
and how we live. In the words of the reformers, that we are to live for the glory of God alone. Roughly 2,000 years ago, a man named Paul wrote these remarkable words to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. He wrote this. He said, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear words like this, I kind of just breeze past that. I'll eat and drink. What's he talking about? Uh, I think I know how to eat and drink to God's glory. I did that on Thursday to my peril. Now, uh, we hear words, we bleed, uh, you know, blitzkrieg right past this. Like it's some churchy phrase that, that doesn't really have any real substance to it. But what does it mean to live in such a way that everything, eating, drinking, everything we do, brings glory to God? What kind of life is it where our eating and drinking brings glory to God? Well, that's what I want to look at with you today. uh, Because here's what I believe is true about you. It's true about me. What I think is true about us, regardless of where we're at. Whether you're a Christian or you're simply someone who's curious about Jesus or faith. Here's what I think is true. We all want our lives to count. We all want our lives to matter. We all have this aching sense and desire for glory. Well, uh, so we're going to jump in here. We're going to try and answer the question first. What is glory? Glory is kind of a strange word. Uh, It it seems kind of old-fashioned or archaic, something that a character from Game of Thrones might say. Uh, The author C.S. Lewis, who gave us Chronicles of Narnia, uh, writes about glory in a famous article he calls The Weight of Glory. I'm indebted to Lewis and John Ortberg for many of the thoughts today. Lewis says this. He He writes, Glory suggests two ideas to me, two ideas to me, uh, of which one seems wicked and the other ridiculous. Either glory means to me fame or it means luminosity. As for the first, since to be famous means to be better known than other people, the desire for fame appears to me as a competitive passion and therefore of hell rather than heaven. As for the second, who wishes to become a kind of living electric light bulb? Clearly, Lewis did not live in the age of the selfie. Glory, it turns out, is about much more than fame, isn't it? It's about much more than just being reposted or retweeted or having your name in lights. Glory has a real substance to it. According to the writers of the scriptures, the great truth about God is that he is glorious. They reveled in this. They said his glory is proclaimed Everywhere, the psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Now this is often misunderstood in our day. The psalmist is not saying, oh, hey, the heavens declare that God exists. Uh, Look, in the ancient world, everyone assumed that a divine being existed. What the psalmist is saying here is this, that creation, the heavens and the earth, they tell us something about God about the beauty and the wonder, the majesty, the mystery, the power, the liveliness of creation reflect who God is. Glory, and here's my definition for this morning, glory is that particular characteristic of a thing that makes it praiseworthy. Think about it this way. What's the glory of a flower? Well, it's its beauty, right? Uh, the glory of a mountain, its its height or its majesty. What is the glory of a pig? Bacon. Bacon is the glory of a pig, right? Bacon is the glory of a pig. We, 
You see how this works? This is what the psalmist is saying. Creationist is telling the glory, majesty, wonder, splendor, and otherness of God. And when we recognize this, when we revel in it, we celebrate it, we give God glory. We were made for this. We ought to do this, the Bible says. And it's a good thing to do. Uh, Psalm 29 says this, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Here, here's, a, here's how this works. Every person is like something. We all have a name. We all have character. God's character, God's person is glorious. And worship is just recognizing that. It's just ascribing to God what is due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now this brings up a very important question because if I were to say this, you would well, you might check me into a mental hospital for narcissism. Sometimes people wonder, why does God want us to give him glory? Doesn't that seem odd? Doesn't that seem like God's got a weak ego or he's really needy or insecure? But you see, that's not what this is about at all. We need to realize that we, we don't worship God because he has unmet needs. We worship God because it's the natural response to his glory. Think about it this way. What was the most amazing thing on your Thanksgiving table this last Thursday? You got it? Think about it. When you tasted it, what did you do? I'm not talking about hiding that dish from the rest of your relatives. What, what did you... What did you, you told everybody about it, didn't you? When you tasted it, you told everyone else about it. My daughter this last week made an apple pie that tasted like no apple pie our family has ever had in our entire lives. It was a moment, it was a thing of glory. We could not stop talking about it. We could not stop fighting over the last slice of apple pie. When you see something glorious a fabulous sunset, a comet, an apple pie that is a picture of perfection, you naturally want to tell somebody about it, don't you? That's the part of the joy. You want to express an appreciation for the glory you have seen or tasted. That's how it works. That's worship. Now, if you see something glorious and it's not a pie, but it's a person, the concept is taken to a whole nother dimension. Let me use this as an example. Men, men, uh, whether you're, you're dating or, 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 or maybe you're married, you can try this on the drive home. Uh, if you are here with a woman and you can recall what it was like the first time you saw her, do you remember that? And, and the beauty or, or her intelligence or her, her character, something that's just overwhelmed you. Do you remember that feeling? What did you, well, the natural response, and I know you guys are so good at this, the natural response is to tell her, right? So uh, here's your opportunity. On the drive home, on the drive home, men, on the drive home, you can just look your girlfriend or your wife in, in the eyes, and you, and you can just tell her. And I know what you're thinking, Aaron. I can't tell her because she'll know that I'm doing it just because you told me to do it. So I'm going to wait a week. She's going to know then too, okay? Just do it today because you're going to forget, right? Just do it today. That's the natural response. And the amazing thing, when, when that thing is another person and we communicate that and that praise is received, something mysterious happens. There's, there's something that we share in, in that moment. We almost get to share in her glory. Now, the Hebrew word for glory is a fascinating word. It is the word kabod, kabod, not commode. That's a different kind of throne. Um, boo. You can boo that one. You can boo that one. You can boo that. 
kabod. Kabod is a word that uh, was reserved for God alone in the Hebrew language. And it literally means, get this, it literally means weightiness. I was thinking, do you all remember in Scooby-Doo how Shaggy used to say, oh, that's so heavy. People don't say heavy anymore, do they? That was like the 70s. Heavy, that's weighty. It's glory. God is more weighty. God is more substantive, more real than anything else in the universe. And the, the idea was that the glory of God gives weight to, meaning to, significance to life. All of life matters. Your life matters. Your life was created to bear the weight of glory. That's a pretty amazing claim, isn't it? You see, people are drawn to God's kabod, to his beauty and splendor. And although the Israelites were drawn to it, they were also terribly afraid of it. In fact, there's this fascinating scene in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament where God's presence, his glory, comes down from Mount Sinai. And it rests on the top of this mountain like a pillar of fire, a giant cloud of smoke. And the whole mountain, get this, quaked under the weightiness of God. Do you see that? And the Israelites were like, well, they were like Scooby and Shaggy. Whoa, right? And they were drawn to this mountain, but they didn't want to get too close. So they talked to their boy Moses, and they said, Moses, uh, you get up on that mountain, and you figure out what this whole thing is about. They sent Moses up, and Moses comes back, and they said to Moses this. They said, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. The people remained at a distance, because the glory of God is both awesome and awful. literally full of awe. We want to see it. But if we get too close, we're afraid that it might kill us. The weight of it might be too much. You remember the shepherds in the Christmas story? Remember how they responded? Luke tells us, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. That's how we respond when we encounter the kabod, the weightiness, the glory of God. There's just this sense that we were created to experience his glory. We long for it. We crave it. But we hardly have a name for it anymore. We've been cut off from his glory, and now we're starving for it. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible was written by the apostle Paul to the church in Rome. He says this, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. You see, sin has a way of cutting us off from God. And it makes us want to collect glory for ourselves instead. In fact, there's a story near the beginning of the Bible that talks about this very problem. It's called the Tower of Babel. In in this story, the people reject God, and they decide to build a big tower stretching all the way to heaven as a sign of their own glory. In essence, they said, God, we will use our intelligence our technology, and our own strength to build a tower. We will not ascribe to you the glory due your name. And they say to one another, come, let us make a name for ourselves. I was thinking about that story. That's just kind of the human condition, isn't it? We exist to make a name. We are in the name-making business. We want to accumulate glory for ourselves. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. Funny thing about this is that In the long run, our name always fades, and we end up kind of looking just silly. 
I read a story this week about a young mayor. He was new to political office, and he wanted to make a good show on the first day of his work. So when he arrived at the office, uh, he went in, and he heard a knock at the door. It was a young intern that was coming in. So he quickly picked up the phone and pretended to be on a very important phone call. Uh, The door opened, and he said, "Uh, Yes, Mr. President, you can count on me. Uh, Yes, sir, talk to you soon. And then he hung up. And he looked at the intern and said, "Uh, how can I help you? And the intern looked a little confused. He said, well, sir, I'm here to hook up your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to accumulate glory for ourselves never works. We end up looking the fool, don't we? You see, we were created to be glory reflectors, not glory manufacturers. And this is part of why giving glory to God means also dying to the self-glorification project. We are all hungry for glory, but our own glory will always leave us coming up short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as hard as we try, as hard as we try, we work harder, we try to look better, sound smarter than we really are. Our own glory never measures up. It always fades. In fact, there's a kind of funny story continues up there at Mount Sinai. The Israelites send Moses up because they're too afraid, remember? Well, then Moses comes back down, and what the Bible says is that Moses' face was actually glowing. He had encountered God, and he had signs of that glory on him. But the problem, you know, was that that glory began to fade. And so what did Moses do? He covered his face with a veil so that other people wouldn't realize that his glory was fading. Well, one day Moses is talking with God, and and he decides he really needs to go for the gusto on this. So he asks God a question that had never been asked before in the history of humankind. He says to God, God, I want you to show me your glory. And it's this remarkable event in human history. Have you ever asked God for that? God, show me your glory. How, How do you think God would respond if you were to ask? Or let's do it this way. If you were God, how would you have responded to Moses' question? What would you have shown Moses to show him your glory. Maybe you would have shown him thunder and lightning or or maybe a tremendous earthquake or huge galaxies or or special effects of some kind. But did you know how the Lord responds to Moses' request? This is so striking. I don't want you to miss this. Watch this. This is what the Lord says in response to Moses' question. He says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. Interesting. In other words, According to God, the most glorious thing about God is his goodness. It's not his power, not his majesty, not his strength. The most glorious thing about God is how good he is. And God passed by Moses. Moses got to see his backside. That's a little bit of Bible humor. But he proclaimed to Moses his goodness, his kindness, his love, his mercy, his compassion. That was God's glory. Well, after that, God decided that he was going to reveal as much of his glory to his people as they could possibly stand. He wanted them to have a sense of his glory. He wanted them to have a sense of his presence. So he gave them instructions to build a little tent, something the Bible calls a tabernacle. It was a humble little dwelling for God, probably a little bit smaller than this gym that we are in. 
And whenever God would come down from way up on high to be present with his people in this tent, the cloud would hover over this tent. And get this, when the cloud was over the tent, not even Moses was allowed to go inside. God's glory had come to earth. It was tabernacling, tenting, dwelling on earth, but it could not be touched. It could not be experienced lest they die. Now, fast forward a couple hundred years. Uh, The Israelites lose a battle to the Philistines. You'll remember the Philistines. That's Goliath's team. Uh, Don't worry about that. That's a story for another time. The Israelites lose a battle to the Philistines, and the Ark of the Covenant is captured. Now, the Ark of the Covenant embodied God's presence and his glory amongst the Israelites, and it was stored inside this tent, inside the tabernacle. The absence of the Ark meant that God was not present. He was no longer present in the tent. It was a traumatic day for God's people. Their priest, a guy named Eli, well, he dies. Uh, His sons both die. His son's wife dies. But just before she dies, she gives birth to a son. And get this, she names him Ichabod. Now, Ichabod, uh, if you're looking for a good baby name, I do not recommend this one. It's kind of a funny name. It actually comes from the word kabod that we've been talking about. In the Hebrew language, if you insert the letter I before a word, it means the opposite of that word. So Ichabod means no glory. There is no longer any glory, is what she names her son. When we lived in Los Angeles, glory had a name. It was Kobe Bryant. He was the glory of the Lakers. And when Kobe retired, all of the glory left with him. They used to be the Los Angeles Lakers. Now they've become the Los Angeles Ichabods. Do you see that? The glory has left. And that was Israel's story. Their story was Ichabod. And maybe that feels like your story today too. That God could not be further from your reach. He has not even turned in your direction. He's no longer present with his people in Israel. And they begin to wonder, would they ever experience God's presence again? Would they ever taste of his glory again? And then what began to rumble from the ground were these voices of the prophets. Guys like Micah and Habakkuk and Malachi. And they all pointed forward. They said, a day is coming, my friend. A day is coming. Not only when the glory will return to the earth, but we will know the glory. And they said, the glory will cover the earth. A day is coming, they said, when we'll see God's glory again. And then one day it happened. God's glory came to dwell, to tabernacle on earth again. But this time, it was in the form of a baby. A baby born in a barn or a cave, we're not quite sure. And it was said that this child was the glory of God. John puts it this way. He said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his tabernacle among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now watch this. Remember the cloud? Remember the kabod of God, which once came to a humble little tent. Now it has come in a humble little baby, in a vulnerable, killable flesh. Now you can touch God's glory. Now you can see it, but it's at risk. And for the next 33 years, God's glory walks this earth 
teaching, healing, forgiving, and loving. And it was the most remarkable thing anyone had ever seen. It was as if God had said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and you shall call his name Jesus. Well, eventually this Jesus would become too much for some of those in his day, especially the religious leaders. They did not want to ascribe the glory that was due his name. They wanted the glory for themselves. John tells us it was out of jealousy that they killed Jesus. So they set out a plot to arrest him and have him crucified. And on the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed this prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Then he went on the cross and he died. What a strange kind of glory. Not one that seeks selfie glory, but one that sacrifices itself for the sake of the other. And here was the truth that the reformers were pointing at when they said, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. It was not just that through Jesus' death and resurrection we could be forgiven our sins. As remarkable as that is, It's absolutely true. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And as remarkable as the truth as that is, this fifth solar points to something beyond that, that we were created to share in the glory of God. Our lives, every moment of them, can now, because of what Jesus has done, be a reflection of God's glory. And that's what Paul is getting at when he said in our opening verse, Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. As we wrap up, I want to say a few words about our culture because our culture uh, tends to worship the glamorous over the glorious, doesn't it? We tend to like the fashionable, but this is not an invitation into a glamorous life. It's an invitation into a glorious life. And that, my friend, is the greatest invitation humanity has ever received. Sin, darkness, evil will attack you. It will try to convince you that your life is nothing if it's ordinary, insignificant, inglorious. That, my friend, is a lie. We, because of Jesus, can learn to do every moment of life to God's glory. Why? Because the glory, the kabod of God is right here and right now. That means that when you eat, you can eat to the glory of God. Is that good news? That is good news to me. Because the glory is among us. It's right here. It's right now. You don't just have to shovel the food in like it's uh, just uh, nothing. You can eat it. You can savor it. You can give God glory while you enjoy that pumpkin pie this afternoon. You can chew it. You can think about how good it is. Think about how good God has been to give it to you. You can think about the people in the world who do not have food. You can ask this good God to give them food as well. You can eat to the glory of God. You see how that would work? You can do this. This is what makes life glorious. This life is your shot at glory. If you will choose to reflect the glory of God. Listen, your office can become a place of glory, right? Your car can become a place of glory. Your kitchen. I know how some of y'all cook. Listen, it can be glorious, right? Everywhere that you are a part of reflecting his goodness, his beauty, his justice, his kindness, his truthfulness, his mercy, you are a part of reflecting his glory. Artists, 
artist, whenever you create, when you use the gifts he's given you to create with excellence and beauty, you are reflecting his glory. Builders, builders, whenever you build with integrity and excellence, you are reflecting his glory. Mothers, mothers, when you get up in the middle of the night and your husband sings glory, uh, you hold that baby and you nurse that baby, you are reflecting the goodness of God. No one else sees you, but God sees you. And it's a moment of glory. Students, when you study, when you do your best, you are reflecting the glory of God. Teachers, when you prepare your lessons plans, you're giving the best of yourself to your students. That's the glory of God. Accountants, when you balance the... What do accountants do? Um, (laughs) Accountants, when you balance the books with honesty and accuracy, that is the glory of God. Singles, when you date in a way that honors the personhood of the person you're dating, that is the glory of God. Whatever you do, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, Do all for the glory of God. My friends, you you can live a selfie life. Or you can live a life of glory. The choice is yours. Which will you choose? Let's pray.